0: And welcome to this week's episode of the Hammer Time Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Hammerman. We're in Playmaker Mentality. Download us on iTunes, like the podcast. Of course, we've gotten some great feedback thus far. This episode is happening a little bit late, but definitely we are still really, really excited about our guest. But first, I'm about to give some unsolicited sponsorship. This podcast is sponsored by Poopery, which is a little spray that you can. Spray into the toilet before you go to the bathroom, and it makes everything smell wonderful. I recommend it. Our guest recommends it. It is the current unofficial sponsor of the Hammer Time podcast, Poopery where everything can smell just oh-so-sweet. And we got some great guests today. Many, many of you follow them on Twitter. You know them. You respect them. They break the news that you pay attention to when it comes to the NFL to college football to everything else. We have ESPN's own football insider, Adam Schefter, NFL Networks Ian Rappaport, and you know what? Just for fun, we have Jason Lock on Fora as well. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing good. <laughs> yeah, so in reality, we have someone better than all three of those guys, but He has played all three on Twitter before. Uncle Chaps.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: Yeah, so we were supposed to do this a little bit earlier, but you know, things come up. It's been a little bit crazy, but I am so thankful and thank you again for coming on today it is great to talk to you you're one of my favorite characters there are people who i know who tell me that they would follow you but they are scared of getting chapsed and we're going to get into the art of being chaps later in this podcast but we're going to start from the top and you are a sports fan so what originally got you interested in sports
1: you know i've been a sports fan my whole life actually my very first word was ball um i was a baseball guy for a long long time and my dad was in the Navy. We lived in Sicanella, Sicily, and I was two years old at the time, or a little younger than two. And my very first word that I ever said was was ball. So as long as I've been talking, as long as I've been breathing, I've been a sports
0: fan. So I did not know that you lived in Sicily. Were you a soccer guy too?
1: No, I actually didn't start liking soccer till about two years ago. Um, oddly enough a lot of Jaguars Twitter are big soccer fans as well. So, following a lot of those guys on Twitter and seeing their passion about the national team. And then I kind of started watching when the women played Japan in the game that they lost, actually. I think it was the um, Olympic gold medal, or maybe it was the World Cup before last, where they lost against Japan. And the excitement in that game like, kind of hooked me on soccer. So now I, I kind of like, I mean, it's not like my favorite thing ever, but I'll watch U.S. soccer when it's on. But, yeah, soccer's all right. Is that what you asked me? I don't even
0: know. You know, that was exactly what I asked you. So we're on the same page. We're good to go. Um, So being from a family that was in the Navy, I'm guessing you moved around a lot growing up. So what brought you to become a Jaguars fan? Well,
1: um, my dad was a P3 flight engineer, so we moved around every two or three years. And I was born in Jacksonville, and then we moved to Italy, and then we moved back to Jacksonville, then we moved to Maryland, and back to Jacksonville. So Jacksonville, of all the places that I lived before, I joined the Marine Corps. I was in Jacksonville the longest. Um, I consider Jacksonville a co-equal as home with Pensacola, Florida, because I, that's where I met my wife, was in Pensacola, and that's where I went to high school. So that's kind of like where my reunions are, and things like that, so both... Pensacola and Jacksonville would be, like, my home base.
0: No, that sounds great, and I will say I have now been to Pensacola one time in my life. I flew in there in January to go to the Senior Bowl. I was there for about 30 minutes, and it was a very, very nice city from what I saw from yeah. above and in the airport itself. So, Yeah, it's,
1: it's the beaches, I think, on the Gulf Coast side are some of the most underrated beaches in the country, like Destin, Fort Walton, and Pensacola Beach are beautiful white sands, really bright clear water. Um, I'm of all the things that I miss about living in Florida, it's being close to the water. Texas is great for a lot of different reasons, but um, the lack of water life here. When I drive down to the Gulf to like Corpus Christi, it doesn't. It's not even even a contest. Like Pensacola and Jacksonville both blow it out of the water.
0: So, as someone who we know that you're Football team is the Jaguars. Who are your other teams, just so the audience knows?
1: You're just trying to paint me into a nice little loser corner, aren't you? Is that, is that what's going on here?
0: There's a follow-up uh, question to this.
1: Yeah, I like, um, I like the Jaguars for the NFL. I like um, the Orlando Magic for basketball. I like well, My wife went to Mississippi State, so I like Mississippi State. And now my alma mater is UTSA. And I like Braves baseball, so I don't really watch any winners.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Mississippi State is having their moment right now.
1: Like you're historically good for your program, and you're still like third in your own division. It's it's a rough life, but yeah, I mean, obviously, nine and three is a lot more palatable than the past seasons of three and nine. Like I'll take nine and three over three and nine.
0: So, given all the teams you root for. What was your happiest sports moment ever?
1: Um, my happiest sports moment, you know, it might be when it might not even be an actual thing that happened during sports, but the craze when the Jaguars were announced in 1993, 1993, I would say is my favorite sports moment because when I grew up a Florida state fan, um, Deion Sanders was my all time favorite basketball cabin. Um, Well, a combination of him, Charlie Ward, and Wark Dunn were all my favorite athletes growing up. And so in 1993, FSU won the national championship. Charlie Ward won the Heisman. Charlie Ward got drafted in the first round by the Knicks. Um, The Jaguars came about. Like, it was just a a really exciting time to be sports. sport. The Braves weren't awful. I believe that was the year, the first time they went worst to first. um, It was... Sid Bream came around from first base and slid in, so it was just a really good time to be a sports fan in my life. So, 19, I would say 1993, and that was, was Sting. Still had really bright blonde hair and wore <laughs> like super crazy tights. Like wrestling was awesome in 1993 as well. So, 1993 is my favorite sports moment.
0: Man, I my little brother's birthday, and he was born in 1993, is in two days or so. Maybe even after this ends up being aired, it actually probably will be, because it's on April 6th, and he is turning 23 years old. That is way too long ago. Yeah. Uh, Getting a little bit of a senior moment here. Uh, We're going to go to the place where people probably know you best, and that is with the journalist impersonations on Twitter. There was a good article that Dan Carson from Fox Sports wrote about you recently after your arguably greatest conquest when your fake tweet was read during ESPN Insiders, which was really, really great. It was NFL Insiders, actually, not on ESPN, um, which was definitely one of the more entertaining moments of ESPN that I have seen in the past year. Uh, but backing up just a bit, what Got you to first do these journalist impressions. Um, it's not original to me. I mean, obviously, anybody that
1: knows Twitter and has been around sports Twitter for a long time knows that, that like it wasn't an original idea. But for me, by far, um, I follow Andy Willis and Dilla from Jaguars Twitter at e underscore Dilla on Jaguars Twitter and Jay News from Jay and they used to do it with um, local beat writers and even Adam Schefter and Rappaport and do fake Jaguars news and then one day I did it and the responses that you get is what makes it worth it like you either get people that are overly happy or people that are that you're fooling people or they're overly mad so the reaction of it is what makes me keep doing it and somehow mine just got a little bit more I guess from my other tweets and stuff like that it got and when Ryan Nani came up with the word chaps, it just kind of stuck, I guess. But my first one to answer your question was something Jaguars related. It was probably Wayne Gabbard getting traded or something like that. I don't even—I wouldn't even know what my first one is. To be honest, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't. My memory's not good, <laughs> so um, I don't
0: know. Makes sense, and. I will say that it is interesting to me, and I think this speaks to how respected and how many people like you, you know, with a lot of the other fake accounts, people either block them or they ignore them, they just sort of cast them to the side because they don't want to deal with them, and people still don't block you because they like talking with you and you're not necessarily impersonating people, I think that's part of what adds to the charm, and that's why you have the likes of Ryan Nanny and other really respected Reporters and sports personalities that are not named Ryan Nanny that yeah. like to retweet your stuff and have this sort of like secret language of when chapsing happens and watching who gets chaps. I mean, I, I have to say, we get a little political on this podcast, although not crazy often do we get political. Seeing Eric Erickson get chapsed was a great moment. Yeah, that was fun. That might have been one for me that was. <laughs>
1: SMBC that Donald Trump had called Marco Rubio a pussy. And that was <laughs> that one was me. And that was, that was one of my favorite ones that kinda went unnoticed because it was mostly like the political realm. And I didn't even notice until the next morning that somebody issued an apology about reading it on MSNBC. But it was that one was a good one.
0: I do not remember that at all. I I, I need to check that out I, now because wait, I did not know that I, happened.
1: I do disagree with you saying that I'm not I'm blocked by a ton of writers. I would say on ESPN's football staff, at least half have me blocked. Not as many on the NFL network, which is actually surprising. Not as many on the NFL network. Um, But tons of ESPN people. I wouldn't actually know what was going on for a majority of the sports world if it wasn't for people that I'm friends with on Twitter retweeting stuff (laughs) because I can't see, like, I can't see Glazers anymore. I don't see Schefter's. The only one that's really big that I interested all the time, and he's awesome about it, is Rappaport.
0: Rappaport
1: couldn't care less. Um, I think that he has sports media fame figured out pretty well and how to deal with Twitter where Schefter kind of takes himself too seriously. Rappaport
0: does a really good job of still being, like, one of the guys. Rappaport, Mississippi State guy, too. So, a little bit of the connection there. And I I have met him before. He is a good guy. From what I've experienced with him, uh, I've never really had too much of a problem with him. He's always very nice whenever I've talked to him. I've met him in Mobile before at the Senior Bowl. He's cool. I will say, Schefter getting angry on ESPN. And if you haven't seen the video, I recommend that you take a look at Schefter's reaction to the fake tweet being read. It's amazing. Uh, He is not happy. He was... Not happy about that one bit. Also, sort of jumping on your point about the NFL Network guys, I think a lot of the NFL Network people are very good at Twitter. Like, you see a lot of the guys, like the fantasy staff, I mean, we've talked about Matt Harmon tons of times before, but Alex Gellhar, Matt Franciscovich, um, Marcus Grant, Patrick Claibon on air, like, they all just interact with the lay people, I guess you could say, on a regular basis, and that doesn't happen as much with ESPN.
1: They rose to fame, too, so, I mean, that's how they got to where they are at, is through the social media and through blogs, and so I think they respect the hustle of people that are still out there, which is awesome. Like, those guys are really cool. I love men. I you know, it's a lot They're Awesome guys.
0: Yeah, and not to say there aren't great people in ESPN, too. I mean, one of my favorite tweets about you is uh, Mina Kimes saying, one of the hardest things to do is explaining the concept of Uncle Chaps to those who are not on Twitter. Which she gets it, and so do a lot of other ESPN people too. It's definitely a person by person thing, but yeah. I will. I also think that NFL Network, at least not that I've seen, I think they might have retweeted you before, but they haven't actually read your reports on air before.
1: No, the biggest one with them was the actual NFL handle retweeting one of my tweets. The they retweeted the Des Bryant was returning to action tweet. That was, that was a good one.
0: Didn't they also? This was a long time ago. I think this was, might have been your first big one, or at least the first big one I could remember when you reported that Brian Hoyer was getting traded for Andre Johnson.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the that were there, but that one got a lot of traction. It was probably the, that one, or when I actually somehow got Alex Smith's contract numbers and years correct, like within like two million dollars or something like that. Um, Eight hours before it actually happened, so I did it as a fake tweet, and then out of nowhere, his contract was signed, and it was about for what I had reported. And that one was funny because Rap Sheet actually like emailed me about it. And do I actually have sources, or am I just making stuff up?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that that's <laughs> awesome.
1: Because I knew that one of my old Marines worked, and uh, he worked in the accounting office at the University of Michigan. And they opened up like a $2.2 million line of accounting. And that was right when the Harbaugh thing was kicking off. And it was – so I had reported on Twitter that Harbaugh was going to sign with the University of Michigan and it was going to be at this time. And I knew it because that line of accounting happened to be open and I put two and two together when he was going to do it. So both of those happened within like two weeks. And so – crap, she was like, wait, do do you actually have sources, or what's going on here?
0: And honestly, like, I think you're at the point where, hypothetically, you know people who probably know things that are going on. Like, I'm sure that occasionally, you've gotten people in your DMs like, telling you things or asking questions about things, right?
1: Yes, and I'm always so slow to look at my DMs. Um, Like, I got told about Kalodi Naha getting traded, like, nothing major, but stuff that would still be like, out there, you know, like, that I could have broken that news if I would have been more on it. But, yeah, there's been several different things where people have been like, hey, dude, actually tweet this, and I'll look at it, it'll be, like, 20 minutes later. And any number of NFL newsbreakers already had it. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there has been a couple, but I don't really want to do that. That's not yeah. something that I want. But it does add to that like, mystique of people, like, wait, is this going to be real? Is it's not, like, then that's pretty fun.
0: Now, I know it's like picking a child, because they're all so special, but was there a favorite one that you've done, or at least one that you think got the best reaction?
1: Uh, Probably recently would be when I was in Netflix and I said that House of Cards was coming out just because I unintentionally got my wife and her boss (laughs) explain it to him the next day. It's like kind of what I do online. And that goes back to what you're talking about from Nina earlier, that trying to explain who I am to somebody that's not on Twitter is very difficult. So she's there trying to explain kind of like my online persona to her boss about why he was so disappointed that house of cards wasn't actually on for another couple of weeks.
0: That's really amazing. And just shows how everything comes together, I guess. Um, I actually think that we're going to move on now, and we're going to get to the society portion. You mentioned that your father was in the Navy, and you were also in the Marines. Um, What inspired you to join the Marines?
1: You know, I've talked about it some that my history and backstory, that I was a seminarian, that I wanted to be a pastor growing up. My grandfather was a pastor, and um, I right out of high school, I went to a Bible college, and then I went to seminary after that. And I was about a year away from taking on like full-time responsibilities of being the senior pastor at a church. And I decided that at that point, I was 21, and I was going to be in charge of the spiritual well-being of a lot of older folks. And I had really no life experience to speak of. So I would, And I was tired of going to school, honestly, as well. So I decided to join the Marine Corps to get some life experience, and I got everything that I wanted. <laughs> and, um, but that's what inspired me to become. It wasn't some gallant choice, like it wasn't about what you see on Marine Corps commercials. It was I was ready for something challenging, and um, the Marine Corps is certainly challenging. And I wanted to see if I had it in me.
0: So I think that's a really respectable choice, uh, especially because I know you've also spoken about how being in the Marines and then your time after the Marines really shaped your worldview and helped you in some ways become a little bit more educated on a lot of aspects that you hadn't had familiarity with before. So I guess I know uh, for those who don't know your backstory in terms of your time in the Marines, do you want to just quickly take us through what your responsibilities were there?
1: Um, Sure. I my job when I was in the Marine Corps, I was an explosive dog handler. So I would go out with my dog to look for bombs whenever I was deployed. Like with Garrison, it's different. I work primarily law enforcement or bomb sweeps or anything like that. But in a deployed environment, my job would be to look for improvised explosive devices, weapons, caches, um, even down to weapons. I would do close uh, quarters entries. I would do raids, um, counterinsurgency strikes, things like that. So, I mean, that's basically it. Like, I would look for bombs, and that's it. Have a good time looking for bombs. And doing that, you get to the point where you realize kind of what's important in life. Like, because in 2007, I got shot, and um, there's a couple other times where I, I was almost killed. So it kind of shapes your worldview about what's important. And when I came back, I wanted to live life in the, the, with my children, knowing that life is fleeting, you know, like I thought about whenever, after I got shot, when I was sitting, waiting for a helicopter to come pick me up, while I still had like a hole in my arm, I was thinking about, will I be able to hold my daughter again, will I go to her high school graduation with one arm, will that be something that she's embarrassed about, and you think about all those things and they're rushing through your head, and then you get back home and you realize I want. I just want to be here. You know, like I'm just fortunate enough to be one of the ones that's here. Like my best friend, early Marine days, was killed um, in Afghanistan a couple years after I got back from Iraq, and his his son was two years or two months younger than my daughter, who's now ten. So I think about um, Jeremy and how his dad isn't here, and how fortunate I am when I get angry with my children. um, How fortunate I am to have the opportunity to be even angry at them and that perhaps what they did at school that day wasn't necessarily that big of a deal. Like, do I need a discipline? Sure. But do I need to keep my emotions in check? And I'm fortunate to have the opportunity to be able at this point to be mad at my children.
0: I think that you hit the nail on the head perfectly and it really does sound like you have amazing perspective on everything since your time overseas when you were working and fighting and protecting us. And definitely I know that. I think we're all very thankful for that.
1: Perspective is kind of fleeting because you have that and you know it in your head and it's a cognitive thing that you have and that you want to be able to say that that's your thought process at all times. But just like anybody else, you lose sight of that. But it's nice to come back and have that as a reference point. Like, okay, things could be a lot worse. Um, I talk about that with my wife. Like, is it is it a struggle? Like, even earlier in the podcast, when I forget about what you asked me, and my short term memory is not good because I have a traumatic brain injury, so my short term memory isn't that great. But my short term memory is a lot better than a lot of guys that have worse traumatic brain injuries than me. Um, so it's, and it's not really about looking at somebody else has it worse. Like, thank God they have it worse than me, so I wouldn't feel really bad about it. But I am, I understand that I am in a fortunate place. Where I still have a majority of my mental capacity, I have full limb function because I didn't for a long time. For two two and a half years after I got shot, I couldn't feel my left arm from the elbow down. I couldn't feel anything in my hand. I could pick up hot plates, and it wouldn't bother me at all. I could, and now that feeling's back, so you appreciate those things more. You can, but you do lose sight of it at times as well. But it is nice to have a reference point to come back to. Be like, okay, I'm freaking out about this. Like the boat that I wanted to go by today is kind of fucked up. <laughs> is, that, is that really that big of a deal? Did I drive an hour over here to look at a boat that the dude misrepresented the condition of it? No. I'm just going to turn my stupid ass around, drive my truck home, and then go out and look next weekend again. You know, so it's not that big of a deal. I'm able to calm down a lot faster than I used to do.
0: Like, when you're sitting on a plane and that couple next to you is breaking up, like, you know, there are other guys out there. She'll I be okay. Try. I can be the shorter Definitely. um
1: yeah, they saw, they saw us after a long day. That I come back to my apartment
0: on the beach. <laughs> come back to your where, where you go to college too. Exactly. Yeah. TSA is beautiful this time of year. So now that you 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 have returned to school after your time um, in the military, have you found that your study habits have changed at all? I know from high school you're generally mature, but are there any other things that you're doing now that you hadn't done before?
1: Um, knowing, looking around and seeing how dumb I must have been in in college, I guess. Um, like I see the college age dudes like hitting on girls. And like, you look like such an idiot, <laughs> and I'm I was that same guy. Um, It was a a really eye-opening experience for me. My first, my very first class that I had to come back to was, because it turns out that most um, actual universities don't take Bible school credits, so they don't really care that you took six classes on the book of Hebrew. Like, they don't care about that. Um, So when I first came back, I had to take freshman composition. So I'm 30 years old with a long red beard, tattoos, and I'm sitting in a class with like legit 18 year old freshmen. And the very first assignment that comes up on the PowerPoint is the dangers of underage drinking. And I'm like, dude, I haven't been in the dangers of underage drinking in nine years. Right? <laughs> I can't write this from a first person perspective anymore. And so I'm looking at all the kids and I'm like, it's kind of bullshit that we can't drink and we're 18. And we're really responsible, obviously, because we're in college. I'm like, college doesn't make you responsible, it makes you go to the next grade, you know, like, good for you that you're going to college, that's not my responsibility, so I'm just really kind of being like an Albright dog, like a Benjamin Albright, like, get off my yard, you little whippersnapper, <laughs> to these, these TSA kids, you know, and so that was a big, that was a big adjustment.
0: So as you said, you had gone to Bible school before you went overseas, were there any specific stories that i guess maybe you studied back when you were in seminary that after you got back took on a different meaning to you
1: um no there was a couple moments when i was there where it was kind of surreal that the places that i looked at for my entire young life for the first 20 years of my life the little maps that are in the back of the bible that i was walking in some of those areas like by the euphrates and tigris river like i was i was there um in Babylon, like Iraq, is in the area of old Babylon, and I could picture like what they were talking about, like what the stories were. And I'm like, dude, I'm here, and so many people had done like Holy Land, where they usually refer to that as Jerusalem. But a lot of the Old Testament took place in Iraq and in Iran, so I was I was there, and I thought that was cool because I knew a little bit about the history of the people that were there as well, the old history, not like anything recent, but like eight thousand years ago. So it was pretty. That was pretty neat.
0: Did you ever get an opportunity to go to Israel, or was that not somewhere where you went?
1: No, I never did. Um, I was really close. We have a specialized search dog school that is in Israel, and I almost went to it, but it was six months long, and I would have had to have my daughter go back and stay with her mom, and I didn't want to do that,
0: so yeah.
1: I decided not to go to that school.
0: Yeah, my brother's in Israel right now, and he's uh right actually in, right on the Mediterranean, in Lod, which is right near Tel Aviv, for those who know, but he, like, just went to Jerusalem because it was a Jewish holiday. Last week it was um, Purim, which is sort of like Jewish Halloween, which actually tells a story of, in Iran, back in the day, um, a Jewish exile, and there was a fast. It's a, it's a good story. I recommend looking up the Book of Esther for anyone who doesn't know the Book of Esther. It's a good story. But... Yeah, he was just there, he took like pictures in front of the wall, and he went to the Arab Quarter and Christian Quarter and everywhere, and it really is an amazing place. Uh, I yeah. need to go back there at some point. Like, It's a great... I know that there's a lot of human rights issues that I'm not going to get into on this particular podcast, because we could talk about that for about a year, or as they've been talking in that particular part of the world for decades... But uh, in terms of, like, the actual content of Jerusalem, I mean, history's everywhere. Israel everywhere. It's just, like, history jumps out at you. It's crazy. Um, Moving on a little bit, and this is something that I'm very cognizant of, because I really didn't have a strong background in the military. My grandfather served in World War II. Um, Actually, both my grandfathers did, one as a chaplain and the other as someone on the front lines in the Battle of Normandy. But other than like that really sort of vague historical sense, and both of them died before I was born. I really didn't know a lot of veterans. So I'm always trying to learn more about how to to best honor them, because I think that it's something that I'm cognizant that we don't necessarily give as much honor and things as we should. What's one way that you think people could better honor those who have served overseas?
1: Um, Well, I'm not one that usually, like, troops should be up on a pedestal, like, that type of thing. I think one way that you do it is you live your life with full and absolute freedom, like, that you want to be who you, that you strive to be who you are, that you do have, like, because you'll see constantly on social media, like, oh, I'm glad you're celebrating Memorial Day with your barbecue. That's bullshit. We should be out putting reefs on Veterans Graves. Sure, do that too, but have a good time with barbecues because that's what it's about. Like, that's what we're about as Americans, having a barbecue on Memorial Day. That's completely fine. Like, enjoying those free that you have because there's so many people that would like to do that on Memorial Day weekend that can't. Like, all my buddies that were killed would kick your ass if <laughs> – you were bitching and moaning about somebody having a barbecue on Memorial Day instead of weeping. Like, they, they don't want you to do that. They want you to have a good time and experience what America is about. Like, it's fireworks. It's all those things. And I talk about that on, like, Fourth of July and Memorial Day or New Year's. I talk about issues that I have with fireworks. But never would I say, don't do it. I want there to be treatment for those that are struggling with firework-related issues because it sounds like gunshots or it sounds like water's going off overhead. I want the treatment of veterans that are going through those things to get better. But I don't want you to stop doing them. I want you to continue doing them because that's part of the beauty of the country that we live in.
0: And I will say that the fireworks thing was something that I was not cognizant of at all until you had mentioned it multiple times on Twitter. And now it's something that definitely – I don't really shoot off fireworks. I've learned from Jason Pierre Paul's mistake – but if I was ever in a situation like that, I definitely would be more cognizant to warn people who might be affected beforehand. That's
1: I really ask my neighbors to do. Like, yeah. Do when I walk out, don't shoot off one directly over my head. To knock on my door that, if you know me, like knock on my door that day and be like, hey bro, we're shooting on fireworks at 9 o'clock. I'll be like, Find that, man. Like, no problem. I'll throw on my headphones and chill and watch a movie. It's not a big deal
0: wise words from Uncle Chaps, pretty much just don't be a dick. I think that's a good way to to live life by. And I think that sounds like that's the, uh, the motto that you strive to live and tell others to do. Or at least, maybe not tell others to do, but you suggest that's how people should live.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: So now we're going to move to the stuff portion, and it's question time. I was able to consolidate some questions, both from my own brain, and also from others on Twitter. And I'm going to read off a few of them, and this should be good. First, I'm going to start with a couple of my own. And I want to begin with the name itself. So how did you pick the name, Chaps?
1: Um, me and my boys, I used to do a lot of residential security when I lived in B.C. So whenever we would go out, well, I lived south of B.C. in Fredericksburg, Virginia. So whenever we... Would go to DC to do presidential missions. We would drink afterwards, and we didn't want to use like our normal names or bring out our military IDs. So in case somebody went up to the Secret Service, like people were like, "Oh, he were calling them this name or that name." Everybody had drinking names, and mine happened to be Chaps, and I picked the, the most Irish-sounding name I had because I look kind of Irish because I have red beard a little bit of red tint in my hair. So I picked Chaps McNeely with my drinking name. And then when I got online, I didn't want to use my real name as well. So I stuck with it and Chaps McNeely is kind of, I get called Chaps more throughout the day now than I do my actual name. So it just kind of stuck from there. The old Marine nickname.
0: I guess that works out. Okay. Um, Moving on from there, you mentioned that you spent time in DC, and I have to ask this as someone biased who went to DC and was trying to drive around the city and in a weekend almost got run off the road five times. On a scale of one to awful, how awful are the drivers in DC?
1: DC's traffic is the worst in the fucking country by far. Like, you can. Everybody thinks that it's LA, like LA or Atlanta. I would drive in Atlanta backwards and reverse, like, throughout their entire highway system before I would voluntarily move back to the Northern Virginia area. It's terrible. It's the worst spot in the world. Well, not the world. Japan's pretty bad, too. Tokyo. But in the country, D.C. is the worst traffic ever. Ever, ever, ever. ever.
0: I agree. Even compared to New York, like... Yeah. My-
1: I would drive blindfold through New York before I would go... D.C. on a
0: daily basis again. Yeah, the worst part about New York is, well, first of all, if you're driving in lower Manhattan on a regular basis, you're stupid.
1: Yeah, something's wrong with you anyway.
0: Yeah, so you can't be helped. Like, you can't be helped at that point. And second of all, I mean, the worst yeah. part about New York traffic is the, um, the one-way streets yeah. in, like, Southern. You can't
1: do that in D.C. like you can in Manhattan. You have to drive because it's so far. Like, everything is further away.
0: Yeah, and the bridges and all the highways, like, the traffic there is just crazy. My little brother went to school in American Town and even from there, it's a bitch to get into the city. Like, I was saying up there, and it was not fun at all. Uh, Another question, so you have been to a lot of different places all over the world. I guess, what was your favorite place to visit? It can be either in this country or out of the country, and where do you want to go next?
1: Um, my favorite place in the entire world that I've ever been is Banff, Alberta, Canada. It's just unbelievably beautiful. The Canadian Rockies are incredible. Uh, they have glacier runoff that forms a pool called Lake Louise. The that sits in the foothills right below Banff, um, and anywhere that you look, the grass is greener than any grass you'll see in the summertime. The snow—you still see snow on the top of the mountains. You have moose walking down the street. You can go and get a 36-ounce steak for like 40 bucks, and it's one of the best steaks because they do their steaks different in Canada, and it just kind of catches you off guard how tender it is. And the wine is incredible. They have Canadian wine, which a lot of it now I probably wouldn't buy like because it's like a Moscato ice wine type thing. But Banff, Alberta, Canada is the best spot in the world. The best place I've ever lived is Okinawa, Japan. It's the number two rated scuba diving spot in the whole world. I used to live two blocks from a seawall where I could throw my scuba gear, walk down, and jump off of the seawall and be on one of the best reef spots in the world. So that was pretty incredible. Uh, My favorite place in America? uh, Probably, I really, really loved growing up a place called Kingsley Lake. It's just south of Jacksonville, um, and the water's really clean, and they used to, and there's nothing, it's a pretty lake, but it's like any other lake, but they had these little platforms that were like 12 feet tall that you could jump off of, throw a little bread, and then jump off, and there'd be schools of fish everywhere, and I just have so many really good memories of from there as a little boy that I would say Kingsley Lake is probably my favorite spot in America.
0: I will say that I can vouch about that Canadian steak thing, because I was in Montreal, and that was the... That might have been the best steak I ever had, on a regular basis.
1: Because they don't... They do, like, grain feeding instead of corn feeding.
0: Makes so, like sense. Yeah, it's... Feed. So good. <laughs> yeah, now I'm craving Canadian steak.
1: Burger, though I don't like it as much. As, I don't like Canadian beef in a burger, but in a steak, it's
0: really, really good. And can, And also, when I was there anyway, they also have some great raw... Steak, like, I'm a big fan of tartare. And the steak tartare in Montreal was amazing. So good. What do you say?
1: Probably because of the tender factor. Like, it's still so, just
0: really tender. Everything they do is pretty tender. <laughs> yeah, no, just so good. Yeah, I mean, I I do want to go back to Canada soon. I might even go back this month. We'll see. I'm, I'm thinking about... Maybe doing a trip to Vancouver, which I've heard is really good. Um, I haven't been there before so much. I, I've had a Pacific Northwest trip bug in my head for a while. Because I haven't been to Seattle since I was maybe 10 years old. And at this point, I want to check out Portland. I've heard it's pretty cool. And I want to check out Vancouver, which I've heard is pretty cool. So, we'll see. That's definitely on the maybe list. Uh, depend Money dependent. Um, Anyway... I'm going to get to the questions that I was asked on Twitter. I only have a few of them, but they will do fine for now. Uh, so from Leo Howell 8 where can we get your draft guide? You
1: can get the draft guide at uh, chapterdraft.com. Uh, and just email me, and I'll give you last year's copy for free. And just put the Hammer, Man, or Hammer Time podcast on there, and you'll get last year's copy for free as well.
0: Better than Waldman, he's ripping us off. Nine dollars for last year's guide, really, really, man, it's a little much.
1: That's a it's good, that's a good
0: guide. It's a good guide. I'm just, I'm just joking. I already bought mine. You should all buy it too. It's really good. Um, who is your number one player this year? Uh,
1: oh, and for the draft,
0: yeah. Oh,
1: I can't
0: reveal that. buy <laughs> <find> the guy. <laughs>
1: I think my dog's in the room, like, yeah, he is. I wasn't sure, but I kept smelling dog farts, and I didn't see him, but he's, like, laying <laughs> on the
0: foot of the bed, and it was, like, I was, like, how in the world is it coming from uh, outside of the living room, but like, he's in here by me, I didn't even know, dog yeah. fart city in here. Yeah, and you have worked with dogs your entire life, right, what, who was, which dog was your first? You had a dog growing up? Yeah, I had a bunch of
1: dogs growing up, um, uh, my favorite dog, when I was, her name Sugar, and she was so badass, dude, because I, I always had, like, a little bit of a wild streak, so I would throw my rollerblades and tell Sugar to go, and she would start in the garage and pull me around, like, full-blown sprint, like, around our neighborhood. It was like water skiing with a dog, so badass. So Sugar was my favorite dog growing up.
0: Yeah, that's freaking cool. I've always had dogs. Uh, I, luck, I guess, luckily, to some degree... Um, my, our dogs live pretty long, so I've only had three. We had Maggie when I was growing up, and she was already, like, 13 when I was born. She lived, like, six more years, which is pretty damn good for a lab. Um, and then we had two poodles, great dogs, growing up too, and I'm, maybe at some point I'll get a dog on my own. I need a little bit more space for that. I don't want to, like, totally keep the dog cooped up in some tiny apartment in New York, because that's not cool. Um, but yeah, what's your favorite thing about dogs?
1: Uh, that no matter what, they're happy to see you. It's just cool. I like, my dog Gus is like super lazy, so I can just sit and drink a beer and he'll put his head in my lap and he won't get up for like four hours. That's badass.
0: What, one of the favorite sayings that I've heard is that we should all aspire to be the people that our dogs think that we are. Great saying. That is a great saying, and I think that's a good way to live your life. I'm totally with that. Next question, from at ff, and I'm going to do a little bit of a spin-off on this question, actually. He asks, what is your least favorite part of Twitter?
1: Um, my least favorite part of Twitter is when people take it too seriously. And... I can't stand it when people just... I don't even know how to explain it, but they, when people act like it's some holy, holy ground, like, it, dude, it's Twitter. Like, there's, like, dick pics flying everywhere. There's, like, nipple shots, and there's, like, all kinds of weird stuff. Like, football doesn't have to be serious all the time. Like it can be fun too. – it is – I mean, I like I do like to say that football's not a game, you know, but <laughs> we can have fun with it on Twitter.
0: Football's not a game if you buy the chap's draft guide. You're basically cheating. It's done. You already know it's going to be good. You don't need to follow the – team this year. You already know what's going to be happening. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to have you name too many names, but are there any people who particularly stick out to you as getting way too angry when some shit went down on Twitter?
1: Um, not, not really. I mean, because if you take Twitter too seriously, you're not sticking around like my timeline too often. And I think Josh Morris says it well that you're a reflection of your mentions. And my mentions are usually pretty damn good. Like, they, most people are joking around about coffee or vape and piss or Cecil the Lion. Like, it's a pretty good time. So I don't really have a whole lot of people that are super serious that stick around in my mentions long enough to, to really get on my nerves. Too bad. So yeah. I, don't really have, I don't really have that issue anymore.
0: Uh, now there's a new Lion, too. Yeah. It's really so, sad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what also building on your least favorite part of Twitter? So I guess, what is your favorite part of Twitter?
1: Um, that I can be taking a shit and there'll be like seven thousand people to talk to. <laughs> that's a, that's pretty fun.
0: That's kind of crazy to think about. Imagine telling your grandfather, like someday. I will be in the bathroom, taking a crap, using my poo and 7,000 people will be talking to me while I take that crap.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty nice. Or pretty terrible sometimes, too, but, um, yeah, it's usually pretty good. It keeps me interested when I'm bored, and I'm bored all the time at school, so
0: that's why I tweak so much. What a time to be alive. Moving on, from at Ryan Eats Cake, a friend of yours and a friend of mine, Jaguars guy. Do you have any plans to branch out into Google Plus or LinkedIn? No. I will say, LinkedIn, and I don't know if you follow Rembert Brown at all, but he's talked before. LinkedIn is fun to monitor because you don't actually need to post on it, but it's fascinating to see what people do post. Like, the people who are super serious about, like, Jobs and stuff, and the people who like like every single status I, update. I find that a little fascinating.
1: I thought LinkedIn died like MySpace did. It's, it's still a thing.
0: LinkedIn is still a thing. Learn something new every day. I guess so. Any plans to go into Instagram or Snapchat and up?
1: Oh, I'm on Instagram. I'm snapping food pics. I like to cook, so I'm snapping them food pics.
0: All right. Well, now you only got enough. Now you got to find Uncle Chaps on Instagram. That's your new homework if you're listening to this podcast today. Um, next question from at sea Viking eighty three. Have you heard from Ted Wells yet about the status of that investigation that's going on? Yes. What do you say? Can't say. <laughs> secretive chaps. Secretive, of secretive of chaps. And I guess to uh, round it out, this is a little bit of a quick podcast, but maybe we can stretch this out into a little conversation about romance. So, this question is from a Zine Team, Adam, good friend of the podcast, and he asks, do you have any dating advice for the single people out there? And I'm wondering if maybe in this conversation you could also tell us about your experience with your wife, who is lovely. Uh, I
1: don't really have, I guess my advice if you don't be an asshole? Um, Just be a nice guy, I guess. I was always kind of nice. Well, that's not true. There was a time where I was an asshole too, but my wife and I have a strange relationship. I was her Sunday school teacher whenever she was 13 and I was 17. And um, we didn't talk for like 10 years and I went off to Japan and did Marine Corps shit. uh, Then we found each other on Facebook, and started messaging on Facebook, and then, um, Skype from there, and she came to visit me while I lived in D.C., and then six months after that, I mean, we talked every day for, like, two or three hours on Skype, and, um, that was really awesome, like, because usually now, in today's day and age, like, your, your relationships primarily are built off of physical things, like, at first, or you're, like, going to the movies for your dates, and our dates were legitimately sitting in, I would be in my room after my daughter went to sleep and we would talk for hours and hours. So we legit became best friends. So even if the physical part fizzled out years down the road, like, we still have that basis of being best friends. And we are now. Like, I I don't really hang out with a whole lot of dudes here because my wife is, like, my legit best friend. So find that. Like, look for somebody that you can hang out with and not be miserable if you're not doing it and that's probably a pretty good person to have a lifelong relationship with.
0: And I will compound that advice. Don't go to a movie on your fucking first date. That's a stupid yeah, move. You're, you're pretty much saying, I'm literally only going to this event with you in order to make moves on you while it's dark. And that isn't what should be precipitating a relationship.
1: Yeah, do dates where you have to talk, and if you can't talk, then move on to the next
0: one. Exactly. Sense of humor... Ability to hold a conversation. All very, very important things. Um, Yeah, so those are the questions I had, but I do think that there are a couple of other things that I just wanted to quickly bring up. Uh, One, I want to talk to you about Harry Potter because I know that your wife and you are both huge Harry Potter fans. Uh, We've talked about it before in this podcast. I'm also a really, really big Harry Potter fan. What is it about those books that really grabs
1: you uh for me it i mean honestly a lot of it is just how much my wife enjoys it <laughs> My wife, it's really love it so anything that they really like like i try to get into because i've never been i think i've talked about it on twitter I've, I've never been the type of dude that would like harry potter like that wasn't the kind of stuff that i liked growing up i didn't like star wars star Trek, superheroes but now like, I'll, wear, I'll rock like Batman shirts and Spider-Man shirts because my daughter McCartney thinks it's badass when I do. Um, my kids like it when I can like imitate Professor McGonagall's voice or Hagrid's voice to them. Like They really like it when we do trivia. So I really try to get into the stuff that they're into because it makes them happy. But it's a great story, and it's really not hard to like it if you actually try. Um, I didn't read the books until I was older, and I listened to most of them, so I—I it I mean, it's just a good story, and my kids really love it, so that's why
0: I like it a lot too. So, I guess jumping from there, what books did you read when you were growing up? What were your favorite things—books, uh, movies, music, those sort of things?
1: Um, I wasn't much of a reader, honestly. Like, I—I I mean, I guess I—I guess the cliche for a dude that went to seminary would be I read a, the Bible a lot. But, I mean, I, I went to a school that didn't really require a whole lot of reading. I didn't really start reading at all until I was in the Marine Corps, honestly. I didn't do a whole lot of reading growing up. But, um, music. I always really liked, um, and surprisingly my mom let me listen to it, I, always, I was a big um, Bone thugs and harmony guy growing up. I really liked that. I'm still a rap dude. Like if I listen to any
0: music, 95% of it's going to be rap. Cool. And I guess to end it, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think that a lot of people do look up to you a lot, which is great. You really have people who take your advice and they want to learn from how you lived your life and apply it to their own lives. So I want you to talk to young chaps, so, chaps, maybe 20, 19 year old chaps getting ready to go into the world. What would be your one piece of advice for young chaps?
1: Um, because I was a young seminarian, I took myself really, really seriously all the time. And I think that you make that mistake. I think that time to be serious has, there, there is that. But, two, you have to enjoy yourself and do, and just to be good. A lot of my worldview growing up was really strict Southern Baptist, and that's who I was, and I hated certain aspects of people, and I would have been really rude to somebody who now I wouldn't. I mean, I'll be straight up honest, like, I was prejudiced against gay people. If you would have had an abortion, I would have been against that. Like, there's so many things that I was so closed-minded about that I wouldn't do that now. My advice to people, just treat everyone with as much kindness as absolutely possible, and you get that kindness in in return. Like, I try not to be a dickhead to a lot of people on Twitter, because I feel like I'll get that in return. Like I talked about with what Norris said, you are a reflection of your mentions. If I can joke around people and make them laugh, and that's the majority of my online presence is making people laugh, then people generally try to make me laugh in return. And the more I laugh, the happier I am. And I hope people can see that, that you can joke around, treat people well, and more likely than not, in a majority of situations, you're going to be
0: treated well in return. I think that that's really well said. I know that there are a lot of posts that you wrote on Big Cat Country, on other sites. I think Big Cat Country is the main one, where maybe if people want to look up your name and get maybe a slightly better insight into your transformation over time from uh, that thought perspective. But for now, I think I want to end it right here. Uncle Chaps, thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us your story, giving us your wisdom, and we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man, appreciate the invite. Thank
0: you. No problem. And that's going to do it for the Hammer Time podcast for this week. I know this was a couple of weeks coming. Please feel free to leave mentions on my Twitter, rate, the iTunes, share the stream. We'll be back with more soon. See you later.